Lord, thank you for today. Pray that you would just guide and direct as we look at your word and as we talk about theology, doctrine, things we believe to be true, uh, that we would understand that the closer we get towards the end, there's going to be lots of strange, weird doctrines of demons uh, that infiltrate and uh, so many people start believing them, living by them, and uh, we want to follow what's true. Guide us into, into the truth. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So when we talk about studying a theology, doctrine, one of the things we're assuming um, up front is that we're studying the Bible and we're arriving at those out of what the Bible teaches. And so uh, the Bible is our guidebook and so one of the things we have to look at is uh, what we believe about the Bible uh, to be true. So we're going to look at that this morning. The Bible is... The Bible is the inspired and errant, infallible, and all-sufficient Word of God. So that's kind of a, what you might call a um, doctrinal statement. The Bible is the inspired, inerrant, infallible, and all-sufficient Word of God. Second Timothy, all Scripture is inspired by God. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So that's a key passage. So back in 1978, there was a group of 300 Christian leaders got together. Some of those names you recognize, MacArthur, Sproul, Francis Schaeffer, J.I. Packer, and others. And they recognized that the Bible was under attack. It's always been under attack. Uh, because people know that uh, that's what forms our belief about God. And so they wrote a doctrinal statement. We affirm that the Holy Scriptures are to be received as the authoritative word of God. We deny that the Scriptures receive their authority from the church, tradition, or any other human source. <clears throat> we affirm that Scripture in its entirety is inerrant, being free from all falsehood, fraud, or deceit. We deny that biblical infallibility and inerrancy are limited to spiritual, religious, or redemptive themes exclusive of assertions in the fields of history and science. We affirm that Scripture, having been given by divine inspiration, is infallible so that, far from misleading us, it is true and reliable in all matters it addresses. We deny that it is possible for the Bible to be at the same time infallible and errant in its assertions. <clears throat> infallibility and inerrancy may be dis distinguished but not separated so that's a lot of stuff but that's in your notes so you have that uh, kind of official doctrinal statement we'll talk a little bit about it um, number two God did not turn the writers of scripture into robots controlled from heaven through a cosmic keyboard so one of the things that I have done and do is I memorized the book of Hebrews uh, last year for teaching uh, on the book of Hebrews. And so there was, there was lots of discussion today who wrote the book. And so I've memorized also other books of the Bible. And uh, this year I'm just about half done with the book of Philippians. I'm going to teach Philippians Wednesday night. Well, one of the things about going over and over and over, Philippi uh, Hebrews has 13 chapters in it. 
So there's a lot of verses and you go over it and over it. Pretty soon, okay, what was that, chapter 2 or chapter 6? And so you have to just review it constantly in order to get it straight. And one of the things that happens when you go over and over and over, you begin noticing things. Uh, words, uh, just repeated statements and phrases. And then uh, I, when I, because I memorized several of the books of Paul, one of the conclusions I came to, they're not the same. There's a lot of difference between the things I memorized that Paul wrote and the things I memorized in the book of Hebrews. There's so many things that just aren't even close to being the same. I came to the conclusion uh, that Paul didn't write the book of Hebrews. And uh, so they, they write differently. I write in a certain way. If you read my blog, somebody else writes in a certain way. I kind of write like an ex-dairy farmer and uh, a hunter-fisherman type individual. Someone else would write with some level of intelligence. So I have so many people that offer to proofread my blogs for me. You know, yeah, let me proofread. Yeah, you know, a certain... Uh, they, they know it's mine because the words are misspelled and the grammar's not so good. And... Uh, the biblical authors used their own free expressions and God providentially guided their lives so that they would choose the words that conveyed his truth. So as you read the various books, there's difference in them. And the writing style, the grammar, uh, the, the illustrations. Here's an Old Testament example of that. David is uh, getting ready to die and he hands off to Solomon these blueprints for the, uh, for the temple. David gave to his son Solomon the plan of the porch of the temple, its buildings, its storehouses, its upper rooms, its inner rooms, and the room for the mercy seat. <clears throat> and the plan of all that he had in mind. Okay, it was just like anything else. You, you think about, it's sort of like uh, my daughter Sherry and Thomas live with us and she's always wanting to change this. Dad, we could put a door over here and we could do this and we can. And so she makes these plans and they're in her head. And so David says this in my mind for the courts of the house of the Lord and for all the surrounding rooms, for the storehouses of the house of God, the storehouses of the dedicated things. That was verse in in verse 12. I skipped some verses now jump to 17 and the forks, the basins, the pitchers of pure gold and for the gold bowls golden bowls with a weight for each bowl and for the silver bowls with the weight for each bowl and for the altar of incense refined gold by weight and gold for the model of the chariot even the cherubim uh, that spread out their wings and covered the ark of the covenant of the Lord so he gives all this to Solomon and he says and this said David the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me all the details of this pattern and so that's a great statement right there of what we mean by inspiration. So David put it all together. He had these ideas. Let's do it here. Let's do it like this. But he understood something as he was drawing these plans and writing out the details of the mercy seat and the, and the, and the holy place and the holy of holies and all the various pieces of furniture. The Lord made me understand in writing or while I was writing by his hand upon me. And so the writers of scripture wrote and God's hand, His Spirit was working in and through them. And so that's what we mean by inspiration. It was inspired by the Spirit of God. Luke and the writer to the Hebrews wrote in very sophisticated Greek. So you read the, the, the book of Luke. Luke was a, 
uh, educated individual, almost classical as the way Greek was, Hebrew, same way. Uh, the, the grammar, the vocabulary, there's words in the book of Hebrews that are not in any other place in the New Testament. And uh, so I try not to use any words that have more than five letters in them. Uh, complicates the spelling part of it. Uh, but uh, the writer of the book of Hebrews had some really uh, long words. And so Peter's writing, First, Second Peter, you read what he wrote. You say, this dude sounded like a dairy farmer, but he was a fisherman. The Bible was without error in its original manuscript. So that's uh, a uh, fun question to that sometimes people don't get. Is the Bible the inspired, inerrant Word of God? Yes. So, how many different manuscripts, pieces of parchment, uh, pieces of rock over the years are there that have been collected that they've taken and that now we have this Bible on our phone and other places? Ah, there's thousands of them. Some bigger ones, some little ones. And so when you gather all these various uh, pieces of manuscript together, are they all exactly the same as you read those that have, like the Gospel of John? Are there some variations between the various manuscripts? There is. Uh, there are some variations in them. So, which one's right? We don't know. For sure. Now there is a process of looking at if you have 16 manuscripts of the Gospel of John and there's variations of them, which one is the most closest to the original? Well, there's some basic rules you follow. One of them is tends to be the shortest of the ones. Uh, also, if they have discovered it, the one that is the most recent is usually the one that's the deepest, because <laughs> you know you'd be going from the top down, and uh, and so you go by age would be closer to right, and so. Sometimes we don't think about that, that the word inerrant doesn't mean word for what, everything that we've got. The original was perfect, but then it was copied, and it was copied again, then it was copied again, and it was copied again, then it was copied again, and it was copied again. And some of those guys, uh, they were looking, and they made a little bit of a mistake. And so there are variations. So I remember I taught this to a group one time. One guy just kind of just fell apart. He's in the class. He's just kind of, you can't, what do you mean? My Bible has mistakes in it? Yes. No. I'm going to go be whatever. I think I'll just go to hell. I mean, I couldn't believe how excited, I just got agitated. So if you take the variations, take the worst ones or the best ones or randomly, and say, what difference does it make in what we believe to be true? The variations are so minor, they make no difference. Uh, so you can just take them. Okay, I think I'll take this one, I'll take this one, I'll take this one by random. Or you can do what they do. It's uh, uh, textual criticism, not on the criti being critical, but arriving at which one is the closest to the original. So there's not that much. Uh, for all the years of copying that took place, it's amazing how actually close uh, it is and how 
um, little of the variations affect the meaning of the Word of God. In fact, when we talk about how do we know the Bible is the inspired Word of God, just the simple fact that over all the years of recopying, recopying, recopying from its original, that it's still as pure as it is, is a major uh, fact of God must have been involved in that uh, in order for it to still be as close to the original as it was. So we'll talk about that a little bit more. The different manuscripts of the Bible that have been discovered over the years have many variations in them. I took a class from the smartest man that has ever been, uh, that has ever lived. At least he seemed like it when I was taking the classroom. I took Greek from him, and then I took uh, uh, textual criticism from him. I had a book and. We would actually look at things and say, okay, your assignment is to decide which one is the oldest, which one is the closest to the original, following these basic rules of textual criticism. And so it was a great class. I thoroughly enjoyed reading and looking at all the manuscripts that they had available and the history of them and when they were discovered and the things about them. The variations can be picked so that all of the worst ones are used or the best ones are just randomly, and the difference in meaning is almost non-existent. So, but as you're discussing it, sometimes people don't realize that when they use the word inerrant, we're talking about the original manuscript. The first one written was perfect, but after that, there are some variations in it, but it doesn't change anything as far as what we believe to be true. There are more than 5,700 Greek New Testament manuscripts. That's a lot. And there's variations in them. God puts an awareness of him and his existence in us. So those who are atheists, uh, they have to do some work uh, to mentally overcome what God put in us. Every person is born with awareness that there is a God. That's why you go to all over the world and everybody worships something because there's we're aware that there is a God. He put that inside of us. And uh, number eight, he also revealed himself in his creation. Did you get notes? Lauren, there's some notes up there. You don't have to do them, but... So this is a great passage. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unright, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. So there's a God, and if a God uh, created me and you, he will communicate to us, make his will known to us. And so the Bible is God's Word, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Understood through what is made so that they are without excuse. So God exists and he's created and he's put in us an awareness that there is a God and he's communicated uh, his power, his attributes, uh, his nature through what is created. It's one of the reasons why the devil works so hard to get evolution uh, everywhere because if we can put a uh, axe in that oh, that just happened that wasn't God it just eliminates in our thinking uh, how God communicates to us about who he is 
And so um, it's a great source of revelation. It is only through the Bible that we know in detail who God is, what he is like. He reveals himself to us in revelation. So you can get information from what you see, what he created, but if you want to know in detail who God is, uh, his attributes, the word of God, he revealed himself through revelation, through the Bible. By the way, when you read Old Testament books, book of Leviticus, uh, you know, when I'm doing my Bible reading and I get to the book of Leviticus, uh, I speed up my reading. But he asked the question, why, why do we read the book of Leviticus without, about these bulls being offered and all this kind of stuff that goes on? Well, you can and you read it, but there is an awful lot about God and who he is, what, his, uh, what he values, what's important as you read through the book of Leviticus. Why all this detail about sacrifices and offerings? And so uh, part of the reason you read that is not just to, because you're not going to do what's described there, but uh, God's nature comes out. Um, what's important, how awful sin is, and a lot of other things uh, about him. The Bible reveals to us how to live with God forever. Without it, we would not have a clue. Live with God, that is, be saved, be forgiven, live in heaven. Uh, without the Bible, we wouldn't, uh, we'd probably go to what's natural, that is, just try to be good. And uh, we know from the Bible that trying to be good isn't going to get us there. And we discover what Jesus did. Um, we discover the gospel, what's required of us in order to live with him forever. So the Bible becomes our source of eternal life, as it were. The Bible teaches us how to live successfully in every area of life. Now, as we're living life in relationship, <clears throat> raising our kids. So if I do a marriage seminar, I teach what the Bible says. And I illustrate it with some real-life illustrations, but it's out of the Bible. If I do a parenting thing, I teach what the Bible says. Um, if I talk to people about managing their money, uh, I teach what the Bible says. If I talk about how to catch salmon, uh, I've not found anything in the Bible on that one. And so I've got to rely on uh, some fishing dude that learned by experience. But there's a lot of areas of life that are described in the Bible and how to be successful in those areas. The Bible is the mind of Christ. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Second, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the whole chapter is about the word of God and inspiration, how it applies to us. And so Paul is saying the Bible that we have is the mind of Christ. And uh, when most of you know my story, Patty and I's story, we met in college and uh, it was a strange meeting. She dressed up like a guy, went to a basketball game with a basketball team in college, which I was part of. She looked really crazy. And I think to myself, as I see this girl dressed up with a guy, dressed, sitting with a bunch of basketball players, that this girl is like weird. And, uh, and then, but one thing about it is I, she kept popping in my mind. And uh, pretty soon I decided to take her on a date, and it wasn't too much long after that we were engaged. And so that happened December, that event, at the Far West Classic event. And then in April, January, February, March, April, we were engaged. 
and then May was school was out. She went to California. I went to Washington. We were married August 24th, 50 years ago. And so I didn't hardly know who she was. And so I wrote a letter every single day from June 1st to August 24th. And she did the same. They were long letters. And so when I got married to her, I actually knew her quite well. Because I had written letters, she had written letters, I wrote what she, I read what she wrote, she read what I wrote, and we wrote a lot of information about what was going on. But in the process of writing, we, we communicated to each other who we were, how we thought, what we felt, what motivated us, what got us excited, uh, the whole thing. And, uh, and so when we actually got married, though we were separated for three months, we knew each other quite well on the basis of the writing that took place uh, between us. And so the Bible, we discover, we learn, we uh, uh, communicate with God as we see his mind there written, revealed in Scripture. The Bible is alive. The Holy Spirit works in us as we read, illuminating and guiding us into its meaning. Uh, next week we're going to talk about uh, hermeneutics. That's some basic rules of interpreting the Bible and so the illumination guiding aspect doesn't eliminate the discipline of, of in studying the Bible and doing it in a right way where we get truth as opposed to weirdness. And, uh, but in the process of studying and applying basic rules of hermeneutics and deciding what it means, uh, we understand that we're being guided and illuminated by the Spirit but know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. I have many more things to say to you, Jesus speaking just prior to being uh, John 16, and then John 17 is a prayer, and then we move to 18 and uh, the crucifixion. And so this is right at the end, the Last Supper. Uh, discussion that Jesus had with his disciples. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. And so Jesus said, I got a whole lot of more things to tell you guys, but you, you kind of loaded down now. So uh, you'll get it later. The Holy Spirit will give it to you. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Number 14, the canon of Scripture are those books that are recognized as God's word and included in the Bible. So the word canon doesn't mean big gun. Uh, it just means a collection or the total group of books. You probably learned when you were in Sunday school or Awana that there's 92 books in the Bible, right? <laughs> Just checking, seeing how many of you really learned how many books were in the Bible. Uh, how many are there? 66. 66 books in the Bible. So, how many books were written that were people could have included in the Bible and, you know, that were like those books, hundreds. And so as you read, and one of the things that I like to do is I like to read church history, especially the very early years. There were lots of, 
uh, deals where people would start reading uh, the book of uh, D. Duke and think, wow, this is cool stuff. And so somebody would say, eh, that's not, that's not the inspired word of God. Oh, he sounds pretty cool. He likes to fish and hunt. Uh, no, we're going to chuck that one. So there were a lot of different books that were written by a lot of different individuals. And so sometime somebody had to decide, this is in, this is out. This is in, this is out. And then they formed what was the canon of Scripture. So it's not anywhere officially stated, but the basic uh, Jewish, if you go to talk to any rabbi and say, where do the Old Testament books come from in the sense of who wrote them? Um, Ezra is a scribe who collected the various books of the Old Testament and declared them to be the Word of God. Read the book of Ezra. He was a scribe, and he read the Bible a lot, studied it, taught it. And, uh, and so it came a point when there was the book of Isaiah and the book of Jeremiah and the book of uh, Hezekiah. Hezekiah? Was there a book called Hezekiah? No, just checking seeing if you're reading. And so, could have been, but it didn't get included. And so, he gathers these books together, and that was recognized uh, as the uh, authoritative word of God. And so, you know the various authors. Moses wrote uh, the book of Genesis. And, uh, by the way, how many years between Adam and Eve and Moses? A lot of years. Where did he get that information? Verbal stories. Um, I preached in Mor- uh, Mauritania. Uh, it's a very, very militant Muslim country, and the country has laws, and one of the law is if you convert to Christianity, somebody is going to kill you. It was, that was not that they can, that they, they, they should. Hunt them down and kill them. And, uh, and so if your neighbor becomes a Christian, you shoot him, you're good. That's just what they do. So I went there, and uh, there was a church, and the guy that was the missionary that started the church did a loan. He would advertise in the paper for a microloan and also training to start a small business and managing the money. Now, the country is super poor if you go there. There's the the Nuakchak, the capital, is the only city worth anything. It's, the whole country is Sahara Desert. There's a whole lot of these little oases with palm trees and camels. And I went on a camel caravan while I was there. It was really fun. I ate camel meat while I was there. And so when I preached at this guy's church, I went, and it was a building, a room about this size, a little smaller. All the windows were closed. There was sand on the floor. And people came every 15 to 20 minutes so not to draw attention to themselves. There were no lights on, and everybody sat on the floor in a big room. And so I preached, and the missionary said, okay, you preach a couple of sentences and then I will translate into French. And then this guy is going to translate from French to Arabic. And this dude is going to translate from Arabic to Serer. And this guy is going to translate from Serer to Wolof. Now, he said, when you uh, say your line and I translate it into French, then you give me the next line. Don't wait for all these guys to finish. And, uh, and so when I say my line, there's already three or four individuals saying this, what I just said in these different languages. It was the strangest experience of my life. 
uh, in the sense of preaching. It, the sermon lasted uh, over three hours, uh, you know, but he said they, they come together. It's a major sacrifice, so we're not going to do a 30-minute sermon here. And so, okay, just keep it going. And he said, when you finish, they will be able to repeat your sermon almost word for word because they all know uh, French, some better than others, and they all know Arabic, and they all know Serer, and they all know Wolof, though one of those languages is their main one. They'll hear it repeated in these different languages, and when they get, we get done, they're going to have it. It's stuck there because that's how they communicate. They didn't have anything in their own writing. They didn't read uh, French, most of the people. They didn't read Arabic. Some of them that were Serer or Wolof would read that, but Wolof isn't in a written language yet. One of our missionaries is working on that. <clears throat> so that verbal tradition where it's passed on, passed on, passed on. Moses got that information and he put it in writing. And we have the book of Genesis. Moses came and recounted to all the people the words of the Lord and all the ordinances and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words which the Lord has spoken we will do. So the Lord spoke them and Moses communicated it to them and then wrote it down. Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Then he arose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain with 12 pillars for the 12 tribes of Israel. Wrote down the words of the Lord. <clears throat> 16, Jesus refers to almost every book in the Old Testament as Scripture. He either quotes it or says, uses the word Scripture and reference to it. There are a couple of books that he doesn't mention, but almost all of them he will quote at some point in his teaching, validating Ezra's choices that these were indeed the word of God. The various writers of the New Testament refer to most of the books of the Old Testament as scripture, again validating them as God's word. So if you memorize the book of Hebrews, one of the things you recognize is about a third of the book is quotations from the Old Testament. He really does a lot of quoting uh, from the Old Testament and uh, so a, from a variety of places. And so he's quoting, and so when we read that, we would recognize that they acknowledge that as being uh, God's word. By the end of the second century, there was a unanimous agreement on the part of leaders on the 27 books that were included in the canon of the New Testament. Anybody know what the last two books were that they said, okay, they're in? Book, pardon? Hebrews and James. Why was James such a, there's so many were reluctant to include that, the early church leaders. Chapter 2 was a real sticker for a bunch of them. Uh, you show me your faith, and I'll show you my works. Uh, faith without works is dead. So that little 12-verse uh, section in the book of James created a problem because they didn't quite couldn't fit it with the writing of Paul, especially in Romans, Romans 5 and 6. Uh, and so James was excluded for quite a long time. book of Hebrews was, why? They didn't know who the author was. We'll talk about that in a minute. 
The main reason that a book was included was a conclusive proof that a book was written by a recognized apostolic eyewitness and their associates. So anything Paul wrote was automatically in. If they were sure, absolutely without, uh, as any said, it wasn't a, a false person just using his name. Anything Paul wrote was in. Anything wrote, Peter wrote was automatically in. Anything John wrote, it was in. Uh, because those dudes were apostles. They lived with Jesus. They heard it right from his mouth. Uh, those who wrote letters that were recognized as revelation from God were authenticated by God through amazing miracles. Now, we're getting a lot of information about what uh, we can do and what we can't do now. And so regularly I hear people say, well, the Apostle Paul did it so we can do it. Uh, Peter did it so we can do it. So why do you think that because Paul did it, we can do it? Well, then I'll hear people say, well, because God is, doesn't change. Well, there's a whole lot of things in the Old Testament that God doesn't do now. So, God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them. Evil spirits went out. So, how powerful is that? I mean, just pieces. I mean, you, you can watch some of these radio guys. My... Mom watches a lot of preachers on radio, and I saw a guy the other day that was selling handkerchiefs that would take away your cold. Just blow your nose with this handkerchief, and you'll be good. Wow, do people believe that? They actually buy that, send money for it. And that's the line was, happened in the book of Acts. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. When Peter's shadow fell on somebody, poop, they were healed. Now, how much power is that? Acts 5.14, also the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. Everybody. The signs, 2 Corinthians 12, Paul, Paul's talking about himself. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. I say it again. No, no, a lot of those people became believers because of that. Uh, there were a lot of people, I mean, it was like a real, and I think about that now, I think, man, if I could just, y'all, man, we'd have a big crowd. We'd have thousands of people coming to church if it wasn't just occasional sort of one. But if everybody, anybody, all buddy got, I mean, just to, here, have my handkerchief. Uh, if we could, if I had that kind of stuff now, we'd be a huge church. So that was part of the beginning. But the key thing is they were authenticating uh, Paul. Anything he wrote was in. Why? Well, because he was demonstrated to be an apostle by these amazing miracles that he performed. And so the same thing was true when the disciples of John came to Jesus and says, 
John wants to know if you're the one we're looking for or should, should we keep on looking? And so what Jesus does, he says, go back and tell him about the, the blind getting their sight and about the deaf hearing and about the lame walking, uh, about all the things that miracles that were doing, authenticating who he was, uh, the miracles that he performed. Paul again says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Seeing Jesus was part of the apostolic thing, uh, and Paul saw Jesus on the, op, on, the, on the Damascus Road. Also, later, he was out in the desert by himself and got major revelation, uh, spent time with Jesus. Then he got to go right to heaven, Second Corinthians chapter 12. And I, that would be a great experience. I often say, Lord, just give me five seconds. Boy, that is so, I, I think that would just energize me. But so far, I guess I'm just going to have to go there and stay. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. But I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles inasmuch as then as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. And so Paul was the apostle specifically to the Gentiles, non-Jewish uh, people. If God guided the writers of the various books of the Bible as they wrote, it is easy to see that he could also guide men in choosing the books to be included in his word. Um, so how do we know Paul was? Huh? I know. I'm say, uh, how do we know Paul was? So what did what did that dude do? I don't think he did anything. So. Uh, that's why it's important that we recognize that Paul authenticated, it was authenticated by the huge number of supernatural, miraculous kinds of things, not just one here or there, but, I mean, handkerchief shadows, the whole nine yards. And so Joseph Smith, he didn't have any proof that he is uh, what he says he is, other than his own word. And so God authenticated those who were his apostles. One of the book proofs that the Bible is the supernatural word of God is its perseverance. So there's no other book that's persevered over the years uh, from Genesis on. We have it today, and it's one of the most published books still. The very fact that people have criticized it, tried everything can, burned it, and it persevered. It would only have been able to do that through supernatural protection. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven forever. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Another proof that the various books are the inspired word of God is fulfilled prophecy. So just Christ, Jesus, the life he lives, if you uh, study, you'll see uh, hundreds of, prophecies concerning him as the Messiah in the Old Testament that he fulfilled literally. Uh, the book of Daniel, 
the history of the kingdoms that were prophesied and the fulfillment of all of those. And so there's lots and lots and lots of fulfilled prophecies. It's a great topic to study, and there's numerous books written on that topic if you're interested in doing it. One of the most powerful proofs of the Bible being the divine word of God is its unity. That is, Genesis to Revelation, uh, the whole thing fits. It's the total unity of the word of God, suggesting one author, uh, the Holy Spirit. The Bible is composed of 66 books written over 1,500 years by 45 different authors, and it has amazing continuity and unity from beginning to end. Archaeology has consistently over the years validated the Bible as written when and where it declared itself to be written. Still stuff being discovered now uh, in regards to various events that were written about, uh, especially in the Old Testament. God has put within us an awareness of himself and he has put within us an awareness of the spiritual nature of the Bible. So this is a really key point. When somebody says, how do you know the Bible is true? And my answer will be often, I read it. Have you? Well, I have read it a little bit. Well, read it a lot. And one of the things that will happen is you will begin to believe that is the inspired Inerrant word of God. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man? By the way, people ask me, does the devil know what I think? Uh, this is the reference I would send you to. Who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Uh, my Spirit. Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, the Holy Spirit so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak. Not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words, talking about the Bible. Um, and so we read the Bible, there's this awareness that God puts in us that it is indeed true. 27, probably the most powerful proof of the supernatural nature of the Holy Bible is the power it has to change lives. For the Word of God is living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. There are numerous differences in the content of the Bible. You read the Gospels and the sign that was put over Jesus' head in the Gospels as you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're all different. A lot of people will use that. Ah, can't be inspired. Look, there's some differences in the Bible. These guys write from memory. Uh, and so some of the things God was made sure that were right on the money, others, not such a big deal about what's over his head. Just put them all together and come up with a, the thing. But all these scribes wrote, copied over and over and over again. Now, if I'm writing and copying the book of John, and I know that Matthew, uh, Mark, and, and uh, Luke are different than this one, why don't I fix it? Huh? The fact that none of those scribes, hundreds of them, ever did that uh, suggests that they believed that what they were writing needed to be just that way. 
And so sometimes people get a little fussed about the fact that uh, the description in the Gospels is a little different in various places. I don't see that as a bad thing. I see it as a good thing. Uh, it, was, it validates that they believed it to be true, and so they didn't mess with it. They left it the same, even though any one of those guys repeating could have changed it. It could have been changed, and so it all read the perfect the same way. There were many years and opportunities for scribes to fix those differences, but they did not. They kept to the original text, 